0: And uh, I think you all know that uh, she resigned uh, from the official capacity of Washington State Youth Director last week. Did not let her name run. And uh, Brother Jason just uh, returned, I think, today from the School of Missions. And so they're getting ready to go. Amen. (laughs) And uh, our prayers are with them. And Sister Corey, we appreciate you so very much. much. Look forward to hearing all the great stuff that God's going to do for you guys. Praise me. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. Well, thank you so much. It's so good to be here at Tower Pentecost, which is my home and my family. I was, um, you know, when Brother Pastor Knowles mentioned that today, I, I had a flashback from the first time he asked me to speak. I had just got home from college. It was in 2011. And uh, I spoke on the heart, and uh, I just uh, appreciate that opportunity that he gave me such a long time ago uh, to be here tonight. And, um, you know, there's been like over, I guess that was, oh wow, that was like 10 years ago. <laughs> that was 10 years ago. Um, but, you know, I think about just over the course of 10 years, there have been times in my life where I thought, I can't do this anymore. I'm so tired. And I would come to church on a Sunday morning and the altar would be open and God would renew my strength. And, you know, that's really what, what Tower of Pentecost is. It's a, it's a tower, a refuge, a place where you can come when you are weary and you need an answer. And the altar is always open. Pastor Knowles told me that. He said this altar is always open. And, I, you know, those altar moments are what really change your life. That's why whenever there's an opportunity to go to the altar, we don't want to miss it. Because I, I look back on life from just a young child all the way till today. The altar, I still need it. I still need that refreshing of the presence of God. So so thankful for the altar um, that's been built here at Tower of Pentecost. And um, just love you all. I love this church so much. And uh, I'm not seeing it as a goodbye. I'm seeing it as a see you soon. So let's, we'll look at it that way. But, right. um, you know, I was driving home on Saturday from Spring Conference and I just asked the Lord what would you like me to speak on on Wednesday night and he brought the story of Ruth to my attention and so I'd like to I just like to talk to you a little bit about some things that the Lord's been talking to me about through the book of Ruth okay. and uh, you know the book of Ruth is actually in the next coming weeks when Shavat is coming uh, they always read the book of Ruth yeah. and the Jews they come together to celebrate the festival of weeks which we tend to call Pentecost. That's our our celebration, our time. Um, It's coming up on May 22nd, so mark your calendars. Uh, But I just thought it was so fascinating that the Jewish people turned to the book of Ruth for instruction, for learning about their culture, for learning about um, the giving of the Torah and so many other things. And so the book of Ruth, as I began to study and just think about things that were taking place in this story You wouldn't believe how much depth is embedded into this one small story, (laughs) and uh, I, I won't be able to get through all of it, but just certain things that came to mind, and there's deep meaning in this story, and the story of Ruth and Boaz, you know, as I was reading through it, I thought, man, they really are the storybook couple. I mean, she's a wonderful woman, and he is like a generous, awesome guy, so if you guys are looking for a great love story and a great story to read, turn to the book of Ruth, read through it. It is so moving, but... I think the first story that I'd like to highlight is actually the story, not of Ruth, but of Ruth's father-in-law. And his name was Elimelech. And if you go to the next slide, um, I see the story of Elimelech and Naomi to be a very interesting story. So this, um, if you want to turn to the book of Ruth, I'm going to be um, citing scripture from this story. It says, Now it came to pass in the days when the judges ruled. Meaning this was a time, a very difficult time in the history of the nation of Israel. All sorts of wickedness and terrible things were taking place. And um, especially at this time for Elimelech and Naomi, there was a famine in the land. And there's a very good chance that it was when the um, the nation of Israel was under Philistine attack. And so this couple named Elimelech and Naomi, who came from the city of Bethlehem. They were from um, Ephrathites, so they were from Bethlehem, Ephrata, and that means that they were from the descendants of Judah. And they decided, you know what, there's a famine in the land, Israel is not going through a good time, so we are going to pick up our two sons and we are going to move to the land of Moab. Uh, Moab is actually uh, a nation that really hated Israel at the time, served heathen gods like Molech. And uh, Moab originally comes from the, the, um, the lineage of Lot, who had a uh, relationship with his daughters. So you can imagine the kind of culture that was in that lineage. It was wicked. It was terrible. But Elimelech and Naomi thought, you know what? we might want to give it a try. <laughs> so I, I was kind of thinking of like, wow, what they did and picked up their life. Some people could say, well, that was foolish to lead the land of promise. But something about Elimelech's name really struck a chord with me. And his name means God is king or my God is king. And as they were singing that song tonight, that God is king, I believe that Elimelech and Naomi still had trust in Jehovah. They still believed in Jehovah, but they felt like they needed to leave for a time and see what was on the other side, that they could make a living, that they could feed their family. And I, I thought of just like a modern day equivalent, you know, if, uh, if Brother Ali and Sister Eva Neer decided, you know what, America is just too far gone. We're gonna pick up, and we're going to leave. We're going to Russia. You know, we were gonna go somewhere really far away. She says, "They're like maybe we're gonna to go to Russia, and we're gonna we're gonna try our try our living there." Well, yeah, good luck. <laughs> but you know, so so what what it tells me, and and we know from the story is that when when Naomi comes back, they knew who she was. So there's a very good chance that Elimelech and Naomi were prominent people. They knew who they were. So we know who Brother Ellie and Sister Ivanir are. They go to Russia for 10 years. They come back. But this time, Jacob and Isaac, I'm very sorry to tell you this. But while you were in Russia... Not only did you get married, but you also passed away. And same with Brother Evenir. That would be, the, that would be the, like the equivalent, right? I know, this is very, tra- but I mean, it's very tragic. It's a, little more, it's a little morbid, but this is what happened in the story. Now, technically they did not go as far away as Russia, but they, they, they did something so in my men- mentality, some people could say it was reckless, but I really believe that they were trusting God. I really believe that they, they felt like for some reason they needed to depart out of the land of Israel. The Bible doesn't give us any indication that what they were doing was crazy. But when um, they came back, they began to ask them questions. So if you go to the next slide, it's actually going to show a little bit of their journey. So Naomi and Elimelech and their two sons, they went above, over the Dead Sea and down into the land of Moab, which is modern day Jordan. And uh, it's actually a longer walk today because of the border between Israel and Jordan. But nonetheless, they decided to plant their lives there. And so this story of Elimelech, it does not turn out the way that we think it is when this story opens. We're thinking, okay, they're going to go find fortune somewhere. Things are going to go great for them. But the next thing the story tells us is that Elimelech has died and both of his sons have died. So this is a very tragic story. Um, But it reminds me of times when I was reading this that life doesn't always turn out the way that we plan. We go places in faith and in trust, and sometimes we'll go there and it just did not work out the way that we planned. And it's not necessarily that we have done something wrong or that God is upset with us, but sometimes life happens and it is difficult to handle. And so I was so interested in this story of Elimelech. And the next story that comes to mind is his wife that he came, um, that he took with him, uh, Naomi, or Sister Ivanir in modern times. So <laughs> she's like, <light> great. <laughs> um, but the next story that I, I, I want to highlight, and, and aside from that story of trust, is the story of Naomi. And for, from my understanding, Naomi is a story of grief. It's a story of what happens when life doesn't go the way you planned. Um, The name Naomi means pleasantness. It means joy. It means exciting. And um, after her two sons die and she returns to Bethlehem, she tells the ladies there, she goes, don't call me that anymore. Don't call me um, Naomi. Don't call me pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. Referring back to when... um, God turned the waters of Mara, the bitter waters, sweet. And I I was just thinking about this idea of grief and how it plays a role in our life. Anyone here ever grieved before? Uh, Everyone ever grieved? It doesn't even have to necessarily be through death. Sometimes we grieve just losses in life, whether it could be a relationship or it could be a job or it could be um, something that was important to you. Um, But grief is many ways a gift that God has given to us. Uh, I had the opportunity at the beginning of this year to listen to Brother Aaron Soto give a speech to uh, some of the youth presidents. And he said, you know, something that I have noticed is in our uh, fellowship, uh, we tend to not give enough people time to grieve when things have not gone right. I mean, last year, when everything was closing down and life had just turned upside down, um, I didn't even realize it, but I was grieving a lot of things that I no longer had anymore, like just socialization and, um, going to coffee shops or canceling conventions. I mean, there were so many things taking place and I didn't even think about grieving, but he, he brought out the point that when, when Adam and Eve were in the garden of Eden, the, before sin had entered, all there was, was joy and peace and happiness and goodness but when sin entered into the world, God gave them certain gifts like sadness, like tears, like grief, like fear, things to protect them and things to help them. And I don't see grief as necessarily a bad thing. I see it as something that we need. Um, in fact, I, I was you know, looking at statistics of other countries. When there's a bereavement in a family, lots of places like Sweden or Norway, they give people three months off work. You know, like lots of time off work. Uh, but here in the United States, I think the average is two days. Three days? Two, three days? Uh, there's a really, and, and you, you think that's like, I mean, everybody think about moving to Sweden or something. Um, but it's, it's just this idea that we, we, we need um, this ability to grieve. So Naomi's story resonates with me because I know that there are times in life when things really have not worked out. And here she is going back, which I can't even imagine how she must have felt coming back from this unknown foreign land back to her friends and family to absolutely have nothing. In fact, she was so poor. I mean, as destitute as they come, whereas she may have been in a very prominent family before she left. And, uh, based on what her name means, and based on the impact that she had on her daughter-in-laws, because the Bible says that they, they wept when they found out that she was going to leave them. So they must have had a relationship. What it tells me is that Naomi had this, like, happiness about her, a pleasantness, something that was just so joyful. But as life came on, certain things just began to pile on and pile on, that finally she said, don't call me pleasant anymore, call me bitter, call me bitter. And bitterness is a very, very challenging subject. It's something that, um, honestly, sometimes we don't even know we have it until it's all the way deep, deep down. And so what Naomi showcases to me is that if we don't allow ourselves to grieve things in life and to go through difficult circumstances and to have compassion on ourselves when life is difficult, we have to be careful that we do not turn bitter toward God or toward what he has planned for us. And it's very difficult sometimes to do. So um, there are times when, you know, you had a plan and you, and, you know, young people, you, you might say, oh, I'm going to go do this. And you go and you just fall flat on your face. Sometimes you might say, God, where were you? What were you thinking? How could you have let me led me into that place? And the, the, the moral of the story of Naomi is that that's not the end when life hits and when hard times happen. That grief is okay to take time to let yourself heal and to let God work on you, but not to turn your back on him, not to turn away from him. The, the next story I just want to highlight, something um, that I think resonates a lot with me, and I, I'm going to go back to Naomi, but I want to talk about Orpah. Who knows who Orpah was? No who Orpa was? OK, so Orpa married one of ne- 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 not Oprah, Orpa. Uh, she actually, I typed in her name on Google to like find a picture, you know, and I got so many pictures of Oprah. <laughs> I was like, no. Um, but uh, Orpa was one of the daughter-in-laws. So she was, she was you know, I, I always think of this story because I remember learning about it when I was a kid and how Orpa turned away. she kissed her and turned away, but Ruth cleaved to her. And I always thought, wow, what a terrible decision of Orba. Like she, she missed out. Um, But really her story of retreat is very natural. I mean, she was looking at a woman that she had allegiance to, that she was close to, but she grew up in Moab. She did not grow up hearing about the God of Jehovah or the Red Sea or uh, the Torah or things that they, they practiced in the nation of Israel. No, she grew up under a heathen society. And when Naomi and Elimelech moved into Moab and she met one of their sons there must have been quite a culture shock and a culture difference but nonetheless we know that that Naomi had an impact on her but once Naomi's husband died and her two sons died in the culture of that day that was literally the worst thing that could possibly happen to a woman in society is to first off lose her husband, but next to lose her lineage, to lose her children, which really were a part of identity. I mean, we think about the story of Rachel and Leah, we think about how important that having those children was and for Naomi to lose all of it, she was, she was below, below the poverty line. She had absolutely nothing. She was in a foreign, foreign place. I mean, if you imagine yourself, Transitioning to Russia, everybody dying and then not even knowing the language or anything. And the only people that are left are the, the two Russian daughter-in-laws that you had, right? It's, it's just a totally different world. But, yeah. but Naomi decided, she heard that, that God had provided bread in the land of Israel into Bethlehem. So she decided to go home and she decided to take her two daughter-in-laws with her. Now, when Orpah saw Naomi, they they get on the road, they're headed back, and all of a sudden uh, she turns to her daughter-in-laws and she says, Go, return to your mother's household, and the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. And she said, The Lord grant that you may find rest, each in the houses of her husband. So she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, surely we will return with you to your people. So both Orpah, if you want to go back to the previous slide, both Orpah and Ruth said, we're not going to leave you. We are going to stay with you. We, we, we know that you are in, a, in a, a very terrible situation and we're going to help you out. We're going to go with you back to your land. It was part of the culture of the time. But Naomi gave them a, an out, if you could say. She gave them an opportunity to turn back. And she said, turn back, my daughters. Why would you go with me? Are there still sons in my womb that they may be your husbands? Turn back, my daughter. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have a hope, if I should have a husband tonight and should also bear sons, would you wait for them? Would you wait for them to grow up and marry them? No, you're better off staying home. You're better off being with your kinfolk. But um, what we find so interesting is, is, I have to admit that if I was Orpah and Ruth, which one do you really think you would be? I mean, if you really think about it, I mean, I mean, she was widowed, she was childless, and she was destitute, and she was going to a foreign country I'd never been to. And in reality, Orpah's decision to say goodbye. Um, I think a lot of us can, or her her decision to take the out, to take the chance, the opportunity was a very interesting um, scenario. I remember when I was working for Amazon, I don't know if this is public knowledge, but I'm going to say it anyway, so don't tell. But when I was working for Amazon, you work for Amazon for, you know, a certain amount of time. And if you decide to not stay with the company. Um, they'll bring you into an interview. It's kind of like an exit interview. And it's something, you know, it's, it's, it's a real thing. They'll, they'll give you what they call the ask. And the ask is very enticing. So what they do is they say, if you quit Amazon, we will give you a certain amount of money, maybe four or five grand, and you will walk away, but you can never work for us again. Or any of our subsidiaries, meaning like, the whole world basically. (laughs) Um, But you would not believe how many people after working at Amazon were like, yep, never coming back. Right. Um, But I had so many people tell me, never take the ask, never take the offer because what they're really trying to do is weed out the people that are never going to really help us that are never really going to be like faithful employees of this company. Because some people leave for certain reasons, but they'll want to come back and they appreciate it. But once they sign the dotted line, they take the check, they can never, ever work for them again. And so it's a little bit of a tricky situation. I, everybody would say, what are you going to do? Are you going to take the ask or are you going to not? You know, I didn't take the ask. but I don't think I'm going back to Amazon. But I did it because I just, I just couldn't handle that idea of what if, what if. And the story of Orpah that always gets me is that she will have to live the rest of her life with that what if, because she took the chance to leave. And the truth is, is in our walk with God, there are always going to be chances to walk away. There's always going to be opportunities to take the bigger, the better road, the the certain road, the one that isn't filled with uncertainty and faith, but the one that is the most comfortable for us. And I, I look at that and I see Orpa as an opportunity for us to remember we never want to take the easy road out. We always want to follow the road to Jehovah. We always want to follow the road to the Lord. And sometimes that's not the certain choice. It's not the easy choice. So young people, whenever there's a way out, whenever there's an opportunity to go uh, the other direction, even though it looks more appealing and it looks more enticing and it looks more comfortable, always choose the road, the path that God has. And, you know, there's no doubt in my mind that Orpah knew about Jehovah. There's no doubt that after living with Naomi and about living with um, her sons and Elimelech, that they spoke about Jehovah, that Naomi had an impact on their life. And she decided in that moment that she didn't want Jehovah. She wanted the gods of Molech, which honestly were so detestable. She probably took herself into a worse position, leaving, than if she had stayed. Never take the road of retreat. Um, it's, uh, I'm sure we have all at times, and I'm sure I've seen myself in Orpah many times, but uh, I think I would rather choose the hard road filled with uncertainty, but I know it's headed toward the Lord, than taking the one that's, I know the end result. And that is the adventure of living in the Lord, right? Is that we walk by faith and not by sight. And so I was um, convicted by Orpah's decision, and I think that she stands as a testament to us. But the real story and the title of this book is about Ruth. And Ruth is one of those characters that the more I study her, the more I'm just amazed by her. Because in this moment when she had the opportunity to leave and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, the Bible says that Ruth clung to her. And she said one of the most incredible commitment, faith-filled lines I know of in the Bible. When Naomi gave her her out, she said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back. She made a decision to her gods, return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there will I be buried. Lord, do so to me and more also if anything but death parts you and me. An incredible testament of faithfulness. If you want to go to the next slide, Brother Cliff, I I see Ruth as a story of faithfulness. Her name actually means companion or friend or compassionate. She really evokes the character of a faithful and loyal friend. Because she believed that the, the bond that she had with Naomi was more important than anything else in the world. She was a young Moabite woman who didn't grow up in Israel but decided to surrender her life to the service of her mother-in-law. What an incredible, incredible decision that she made. I don't even think sometimes I understand the weight of what she decided to do. She goes into this unknown land and the first thing that she goes is she goes out into the fields to glean from them. So I might have been wrong when I said earlier that Naomi was the lowest of the low, because really, at the end of the day, Ruth was the lowest of the low. Because as a Moabite woman coming into the nation of Israel, she was an outsider looking in. She didn't have any kind of Hebrew background. She probably didn't do things the right way in many cases. But she just followed the, the instruction of Naomi and began to go glean in the field. Because part of the law of the Torah was that if there were any poor among you, you would leave basically bits and pieces for them on the wheat field for them to gather at the end of the day. Um, because the nation of Israel wanted to protect the poor. So not only was she outsider, and it's so interesting because even when Boaz goes, hey, who's that girl over there? You know, who is she, right? <laughs> the people don't even say her name. They just say she's a Moabite girl. She came with Naomi to help her. So they don't even name her. They just call her as the Moabites, right? So she was an outcast. She was basically doing something very humble, very uh, not glamorous, basically begging for um begging for food but there was something in her when um when she decided to go she, the bible says that she was determined and i found that again this is just the story that comes to me is that for us if we want to exude faithfulness in our life we've got to be determined that no matter what, no matter what i 'm going to be faithful to god i 'm going to be faithful to the house of the lord i 'm going to be faithful to uh, my relationships. I mean it takes a determination. One person uh, described faithful to faithfulness to me. As faithfulness is believing in the faithfulness of God. So faith is believing in the faithfulness of God. We have to believe that even when things don't even look the way that we think they should, God is faithful, that he's going to stay with us. And uh, I want to, how many of you want to be faithful? Yeah. I mean, I know it sounds, but, but I cannot think of a more wonderful quality than to be faithful. Faithful faithful to the house of God, faithful to your friends, faithful to what you say you're going to do. And Ruth exuded this quality in in a marvelous way. And so I see her story um, as one that really speaks to us about being outsiders where we are. I mean, the Bible says we are not of this world. We're just just in it temporarily, right? We're not actually, uh, this isn't really our home. We're just passing through. And so when I when I think of Ruth, I see her as an example that uh, as the world just begins to grow more and more um, dark, more and more twisted, the people of God are going to look more and more like the outsiders, more and more like the ones that are not on the main line, not in the stream of things. And Ruth shows us that, you know, even if you go into work and all of your coworkers are swearing up a storm and doing whatever they want, you can showcase to them the faithful character, just like Ruth. Because later on in the story, when they're talking about her, or when Boaz, he goes, I have heard that you are a virtuous woman. So it's amazing what her testimony began to do. So um, moving on, I want just very shortly, only a few minutes left, I want to talk about Boaz. He is the story of redemption. And his name is actually a compound in Hebrew, which name means in strength or by strength. An interesting thing that we learn about Boaz is that he was most likely a leader in this community. Uh, In fact, he was the daughter or the son of Boaz. Rahab and Salmon is what the scripture tells us so his mother was not an Israelite so we already know that he had um, a compassion and he had a interest in Ruth just based on the fact that she was an outsider and uh, the story goes that he was interested in her but um, back in this time in this culture because Ruth's husband had died and because Naomi was a widow, there was an opportunity for Elimelech's land that he still had in Israel to go to his nearest kin. And that was just how the the law went. If if, uh, a brother died, then his land would go to his brother and so on and so forth. So Naomi knows this, but she also knows that Boaz is a near kin to her. So she tells Ruth to do something pretty remarkable something that I would not dare do, honestly. She tells Ruth that I want you at night, I want you to go to the threshing floor, and I want you to find Boaz, and I just want you to sit at his feet so that when he wakes up in the middle of the night, she's there <laughs> at his feet. I, I truly, there's a part of me that thinks that maybe the only reason why Ruth did this was because she was not from around there. <laughs> I mean, because honestly, that's a pretty bold move. It was not customary. It was very forward. Essentially, she was putting herself out there. She was basically coming to him and begging him to redeem her and to redeem um, Elimelech's name and uh, Chilion and Malon's name um, so that they would continue to have a legacy. They would continue to have... Um, uh, a son or a daughter to move this lineage forward. Very important parts of the culture of the Israelite people. So when Boaz wakes up in the middle of the night, not only is he startled, um, I'm going to go to it. Uh, turning to uh, Ruth chapter 3. It says, then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, "My daughter, shall I not seek security for you that it may be well with you? So for your future," she says. Now Boaz, whom young women, uh, whose young women you were with, is he not our relative? In fact, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Therefore, wash yourself, anoint yourself, put on your best garment, and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Then it shall be when he lies down that you shall notice the place where he lies, and you shall go in, uncover his feet, and lie down. And he will tell you what you should do. And she said to her, all that you say to me, I will do. Ruth had this incredible spirit of obedience. And really, obedience. I cannot imagine how nervous she was. So she went down to the threshing floor and did according to all that her mother-in-law instructed her. And after Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was cheerful, he laid down at the end of the heap of grain, and she came softly, uncovers his feet, and lay down. Now it happened at midnight that the man was startled and turned himself, and there a woman was lying at his feet. And he said, Who are you? Don't do this, by the way. It's just a story from the Old Testament. But, and he said, who are you? And so she said, I am Ruth, your maidservant, under your wing, for you are a close relative. And this is amazing. How Boaz responds to Ruth really showcases to us the heart and the story of the God. Because he says, He turns to her, he said, Blessed are you of the Lord, my daughter, for you have shown more kindness at the end than at the beginning than you did, not go after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear, I will do for you all that you request, for all the people of my town know that you are a virtuous woman. Now it is true that I am a close relative, however, there is someone closer than I, and the custom of the time is that that person had the first right to not only Elimelech's land but also to marry Ruth and bear children for her previous husband. So he he basically tells her, stay here in the morning. I'm going to go basically, I'm going to try to redeem you, even though someone else has first claim. If you go to the next slide, it's so interesting about the setting of where all of this takes place, this whole like, very big moment. It took place on the threshing floor. So, back then they didn't have tractors, they didn't have all the machinery that we have today. But what they did have is when all the grain came in, they took it to the threshing floor and they would beat it. And what it would do is it would separate the chaff from the grain. And it and really it's symbolic in the Old Testament and the New Testament of a judgment seat. The Bible says that, you know, in the last day the chaff is going to be separated from the wheat. The 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 evil and the good are going to be separated. So essentially, if you look at it from these terms, Ruth went to basically a seat where um, judgment was taking place, a yes or a no. Boaz could have said, sorry, hun, I don't want to be married. I don't want you. I, you are totally just the, the worst of the worst. And we kind of see just how prominent this idea was because when he goes to the city gates the next day to meet her guardian, kinsman, the person nearest to her, he kind of does this, this, not a trickery, but he goes, hey, you know Elimelech? He's like your closest relative and you can buy his land. And the guy goes, well, yeah, I want that. And he goes, great, the moment you buy it, you got to marry Ruth and have kids. <laughs> and the guy goes, oh, wait, I don't want to marry that Moabite girl. I want my own heritage, my own name to be born. So at that time, um, he said, okay, if you don't want her, then you need to take off your sandal and give it to me. I'm not even making this up. (laughs) I'm not making this up. You have to take off your sandal and give it to me as a pledge that I now get to buy Elimelech's land and Ruth as my wife. It's amazing what he became. He became the nearest kin and the redeemer. And he showcases just how much the Lord feels about us. How far away we are. How lost we are. How totally, you know, undeserving we are of his love and affection and provision. And yet he goes out of his way to redeem us, goes out of his way to save us. It's a beautiful picture of our salvation. It's a beautiful picture of God's, you know, the way he feels about us. You know, there are times when I, I you know, I go before that throne of grace and I'm just waiting for God to say, wow, Corey, really messed up today. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm waiting for him to just say, really, shape up, do better, be better. <laughs> and yet that's never what I find when I go before the Lord. What I find is a love. I find someone who really goes out of their way to touch my heart to touch my emotions. It's amazing how God just like a gentleman like he, he makes room for us. For example, oftentimes, you know, if you go to the Lord in prayer and there's something pressing on your mind, God cares about our emotions. He cares about what we go through. And sometimes he just says, he just steps back and says, tell me what's going on. You know, before all the, you know, he he wants our heart above everything else. Amazing to me. The interesting thing for me about this is Boaz is moved by her appeal. He goes to action, and we have that same ability to go before the Lord when we need something, when we need provision, when we need help. We can go before him and know that he is going to love us and keep us and take us in. The last story I want to tell you is the missing story, and that's the story of this close relative. Really interesting to me hit this man because what he didn't know is that the lineage in which was being perpetuated was one that was going to produce the king of kings, yeah. King David. Wow. And, you know, he rejected, rejected Ruth. He did not want her because he wanted his own son. He wanted his own um, uh, lineage, his own heritage. And um, the his name in the Bible, it doesn't give him a name. It just says... Such and such, or basically Mr. Nobody. He, he loses his presence in the story because he decided not to accept the hurting, not to accept the one that needed provision, uh, really had more selfish interests in mind. Um, but Boaz says in Ruth 4, chapter 10, he says, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the widow of Malan, I have acquired as my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead. Through his inheritance, that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brethren and from his position at the gate. You are witnesses this day. Something we learned very on about the tribe of Judah is that God is displeased whenever someone doesn't uh, continue on the the lineage. So, for example, Judah's first son, Ur, he died because he was wicked. But his second son, Onan, God was really displeased with him because he refused to bear children to Ur's wife. And you see this very similar thing, but, but Boaz didn't care. He didn't care whether he got the glory. He didn't care whether it was his lineage. He had a spirit of adoption, a spirit of taking him under and perpetuating that other man's name. And we learn from the very end that this story, Elimelech said, God is my king. And the very last name given in the book of Ruth is Obed begot Jesse and Jesse begot or. Uh, uh, well, here it is. It says, Salmon begot Boaz, Boaz begot Obed, Obed begot Jesse, and Jesse begot King David or David. And we know that from this story that Ruth and Boaz would be great, 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 grandfather of Jesus. And they are part of the lineage of the Lord. And so, you know, we, we have the potential like Orpah, like this Mr. Nobody to take our name out of the story. But in reality, when we practice these principles of taking care of others, of taking on a spirit of adoption, of, of taking the hard road, of doing all these things, we get to be grafted in to that lineage. We get to be part of the story of Jesus Christ. I mean, we are literally grafted in. The Bible says we take on His name, we take on his, I mean his heritage. And so it's just a very amazing story to me, a story about Jesus, um, really powerful. So many more things I could talk about, so many more things. It's just a wonderful, beautiful book, but there's so many life lessons, so many character traits that we can possess. And so those are just a few thoughts I wanted to share with you tonight. Why don't we all stand? Um, Why don't we just take a few minutes to talk to the Lord about anything we need? But uh, wherever you're at in life, God has a plan for you. And uh, I'm excited for what's what he's planning to do. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much, God, for this incredible story that you've given to us to remind us about so many things, Lord, that you are doing in this walk of life that we have, the ups and the downs, the difficult decisions that we have to make. Lord, I pray right now, God, that whatever decisions people are facing, that they wouldn't choose the easy road, but God, we would choose the road that always leads to you, that always leads to bringing you glory, that always leads to your presence, your sanctuary. Thank you, God. for saving us for redeeming us for being here with us tonight we magnify you and we glorify you as our king in Jesus name I pray that you bring everyone back here safely bless them in Jesus name amen. amen amen God bless you thank you so much for being here tonight